1 Corinthians 15 27-28 NASP. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says, all things are put in subjection, it is clear that this excludes the Father who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. I don't know about you, but I find that this particular scripture, is one of, if not the most profound scriptures, in all of the Bible. This particular scripture, these exact words, uttered only by the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, reveals to us, the end conclusion of all that has transpired, throughout the whole history of creation and all that God has created, and all that He has done. And when you look at what this involves, it literally touches on everything that is, both in the past, in the present and what is to come. What follows is my greatly abridged Cole's notes on this scripture, so bear with me, if you would. We start with God, who is holy. I've said before that I don't believe that any of us can actually even begin to comprehend what the word holy actually means. We can assign words to it, which assign aspects, but one needs to stand in the presence of God's holiness to even begin to comprehend the mere basics of what that word signifies. Men of old, fell to their knees, at the presence of the angel of the Lord. The Apostle John, in Revelation said he was like a dead man, when Jesus, in his glory, appears before him. Think of an all-consuming radiance that totally defies description. The magnitude of the holiness of God defies description by us here, who are his earthly creation. Then we are told about a war in heaven, where some heavenly creations, of a holy God, rebel against their holy creator. A third of these heavenly creations, spearheaded by Satan, join in on the rebellion and lost their former standing. The question that always keeps running through my mind is what exactly took place that God in His wisdom and holy righteousness, saw fit to correct, for all time. And I can't help but think that it involves the recognition and value we assign to the righteous holiness of God and the trustworthiness of His Word. This is exactly what faith in God and built on. From what I can understand, the absolute righteousness and trustworthiness of God was called into question by some of His creations. They decided that they did not want to be under the authority and guidance of their Creator God. In other words, they wished to exercise their own will, to be independent of, the authority of or compliant to, the Creator God's will. If that doesn't remind you of what transpired in the Garden of Eden, it should. This means that they valued their own wisdom over their Creator God's wisdom. This means that they shifted their allegiance from following God's will, to following their own. This means that they rejected the righteous holiness of God. And most importantly, it means that they negated the love of God, based on His absolute righteousness, as not being worthy of their recognition or compliance. Once again, shades of what happened to Adam and Eve, and all those who followed, should quickly come to mind. And then we have those hard-to-ignore pointers given to Israel, such as the law and the command to be holy as I am holy, plus the construction and limitations of the tabernacle and temples, the functioning priesthood and the required sacrifices, to make us mindful of our inability to keep the law, the contrasting holiness of God and the need for a promised Redeemer, to do for us, what we in ourselves can never do. Be holy as I am holy. Then the promised Redeemer arrives and He obeys the will of God, He speaks and teaches the will of God and He acts out the will of God, even unto His own death. None of this is by coincidence. It's totally by design, according to the expressed will of God, our Heavenly Father, and the subjected willful obedience of God the Son. What transpired in heaven originally and is repeated here on earth, speaks of God's chosen plan of reconciliation, where those who choose to live, will live through His Son and those who choose to ignore His Son, will die without His Son. No one could do what Jesus did, unless He was the Son of God. No one could say what Jesus said, unless He was the Son of God. 
No one could rise from the dead, like Jesus did, unless he was the Son of God. No one. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only truth. Jesus is the only life. There is none other. And central to all of what has transpired in God's plan of reconciliation, is the subjected willful obedience to the expressed will of God, by Jesus the Son. Satan challenged it. Jesus accomplished it. And when all is said and done, that which has been made subject to Jesus, shall be willfully subjected to the Father, so that God may indeed be all in all. I can't help but think that is pretty marvelous, when you stop to think about it. God's the Father's last word on what transpired in heaven and on earth is Jesus's Son. There is not one of us who perfectly follows the will of God our Father. Not one. But our hope is not in what we can do but rather in what God has done for us, through His Son. Because I live, you also shall live. We are indeed called to be holy and to walk in His ways. We are indeed called to die to self and now live in Him. We are indeed called to pick up our cross daily and start anew, as daily we are changed into His image. Our daily sins are washed away when we confess our sins, because Jesus and Jesus alone paid the price that the wages of our sin produce. Jesus perfectly followed the will of God without sinning and by doing so, He gave us life without end. No wonder we say, worthy is the Lamb. Blessings.